Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Remote HQ, an incredible collaborative tool that allows teams to work together wherever they are. You can check them out at remotehq.com and use the promo code Apple Insider to get three months free. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Alexa. Get $10 off a two-pack of Singlet Smart LED Bulbs at amazon.com slash Apple Insider. And finally, ExpressVPN. Get an extra three months for free when you go to expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week after a uh, week hiatus, Wes. Thanks for joining me, man. It feels like it's been about two months, but how you doing? Oh my goodness, I know. Now, if you missed last week, we didn't do our standard episode on Friday last week, but I did have a special guest, Canis, the maker of Wooji Juice and Ferrite, the iPad app that I used to edit my podcast. Did an interview with him about his thoughts about the Apple Small Business Program, 15% commission. So it was really fun interviewing him. He's like a one-man developer shop and just really impressive the work he's doing. And it was interesting to hear his thoughts. He's been in the App Store since the beginning. And I thought, you know, he mentioned the very first app that he put in the App Store under the name Wooji. And it sounded familiar and I actually went back all the way in my App Store purchases. If you didn't know you could do this, you can go to the App Store, go to your purchases and scroll all the way down. And even if the app's not available anymore, you could see those apps that you downloaded way back in the day. And uh, I actually had his very first app, which was Wooji, like Keynote Remote. And I remember uh, using that back in the day. So anyway, thanks again to Candice for being on the show. And if you hadn't checked that out, listen to last week's episode, maker of Wooji Juice. And you can find out what Wooji means uh, in his vernacular too. But did you have some of those original apps? When, when did you enter like the Apple ecosystem with that kind of stuff? I started getting Apple stuff in about 2014, 2015. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So App Stores was... Plenty mature by then. I never had the original iPhone, but I had an iPod Touch year one. And I had like a Palm 755 as my phone, but but I had an iPod Touch and the App Store was like Wild West. And some of them were pretty hacky. They, you know, Apple's since Sherlocked many of the things like Wooji's Keynote Remote, which you could just do built in with the Keynote app now. But yeah, pretty cool to, to go back and see that. But anyway, check out that episode. First piece of news, Apple has finally released the MagSafe Duo Charger, the closest we will ever probably get to the Air power thing that Apple <laughs> announced a couple of years ago. The MagSafe Duo Charger, they announced it with MagSafe and now it is available. You can buy it. Shipping times are slipping a little bit. Mine, as we record, will arrive supposedly in the next like 30 <laughs> minutes to an hour. It's, you know, you can charge your phone, your iPhone 12, if it has MagSafe and your Apple Watch kind of all in one. It is not cheap. MagSafe Duo is $130. And like the iPhone 12s, does not come with a power brick. And this has been kind of, I don't know, a lot of tech pundits. I've heard like Joanna Stern and Gruber talking about it. You know, the phone not coming with a charger is one thing. The MagSafe puck not coming with a brick is another thing because that thing's like 40 bucks. And then this duo charger, $130, not coming with a power brick little crazy and you kind of need a 30 watt or more powerful brick to get that full charging capability for both devices on this duo charger if you use the 20 watt which apple was recommending with the just magsafe single cable you're not going to get the full charging capability so the whole charging brick situation is a little rough around the edges but you uh didn't jump on this no this is uh definitely a 
product out of time. It feels like something Apple should have released in 2015 sans MagSafe. Yeah. Very strange. I mean, corollary to the air power thing. I don't think, obviously, air power is ever going to exist now. Uh, the random placement wireless charging things over. We have MagSafe now. Yeah. It would feel like Apple would be taking three steps back to re- bring out something with air power now. But this also just doesn't feel quite right. I mean, it's $130. It's definitely something that looks like it's supposed to be pocketable. Maybe it's a, supposed to be a portable, like your perfect hotel charger. I don't know. It still feels strange. It, it, it is missing that third component that lets you charge maybe your AirPods at the same time. Still, again, no brick. So you're out of pocket at least another $30 just to get a suitable charging brick that'll fully charge your watch and your phone at the same time. And it is the brightest white that they can find at uh, Home Depot. <laughs> and on top of that, like it, it, it just screams, please steal me. I, I don't know. It, it's a very strange device to me. It reminds me a lot of that. Um, do you remember two years ago, uh, Apple said, here's our official Apple Watch charging dock. And it is a mm-hmm. circular disc yeah. that was solid white. The puck just stuck up out of the top of in the middle. And it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. So uh, whoever designed that obviously designed this. It's just <laughs> the same department. Now, that was one device I did not jump on. That single use Apple Watch charger. I think it was a little expensive, but you could also like on Amazon, I probably got it for like five or 10 bucks, but like a little black plastic stand basically that you put the Apple Watch charger in. So you get that nightstand mode, the Apple Watch lay sideways. I also got an old, like, it was a Mac Lisa. It was like a, it looked like that. It was like a rubber Mac Lisa that you put the Apple Watch charging puck in and you could charge your watch there like a funny thing. But anyway, yeah, the, the single use one never tempted me. I got the MagSafe Duo one because I'd like to combine both the Apple Watch and MagSafe. I'm charging my phone with MagSafe every night now. I'm trying to see what kind of patina this leather case gets being MagSafe charged every day. And I see a little circle appearing on the back of my leather case. But wanted to combine those two. But also the one thing about MagSafe, and I'd be curious if you've run into this, if you're charging with MagSafe at night or at your desk. But when you go to get your phone off the MagSafe charger, if you're just using the cable, Apple's MagSafe cable, you know, you kind of have to like either push the little puck off the back with your fingers or like peel it up or maybe even use two hands. And so I saw, I think, Vitici and someone else with the Duo charger and it looks like they could just pick up their phone and you don't have to like hold the charging thing down. I don't know if it's heavy weighted. I don't know if you use like sticky, whatever. They're actually cheating. They have metal tables. So those, their duos are magnetically attached to their tables that they're um, charging their devices on. Well, this ruins everything. Well, I don't know if it's going to be useful or not. I was hoping maybe this Duo charger, it would be easier to just pick up your phone from. But I don't know, maybe I have to use some 3M strips to stick it down. But are you using MagSafe to charge your stuff? Because I know you got your Pro Max now. Actually, was at Target a couple weeks ago, and there was one MagSafe charger just hanging there, so I had to buy it, and I haven't touched it since. (laughs) Oh! It's not that I don't like it, because it's just it doesn't fit into my life anywhere. I have the Seitechi Trio uh, charger at my desk and the uh, Nomad Base Station Pro or whatever at my... um, nightstand by my bed and both of those are perfect i just lay my phone down it's never a battle uh what the way they have these both of these um wireless mats set up it's really hard to miss where you're supposed to put the phone 
and get it charging. So I've never I've never walked away and found my phone dead or something. MagSafe solves a very specific problem. I just don't have, I don't know where to use it specifically. I've thought about, wouldn't it be cool to have a just magnetic thing somewhere to stick my phone? So I've had the thought of adhesiving it to the side of a cabinet in my kitchen and just sticking my phone to the side of a cabinet while I'm cooking <laughs> or whatever. But outside of that, I just don't really have much of a use case for it yet and haven't really found a place to sit it to actually charge my phone with it. It just I fully adopted the wireless mats all over my house and uh, have gotten used to those. So we'll have to see what Apple does with MagSafe and where I can implement that later. Those Nomad wireless charges, I know you and a couple of the people at Apple Insider have them. They look great. I'm seeing if Nomad will make one of those with MagSafe. Like I wonder if they'll make a pad with the MagSafe disc or puck. So, you know, the phone auto aligns to it with the little Apple Watch attachment and AirPods. Like if they make something like that, I'll jump on the, the Nomad pad for sure. As far as like that goes, I don't know that I want a lay flat charging thing, kind of like the Apple's MagSafe Duo. I like Belkin's uh, concept that they've come out with where it's mm. all hovering, you know, two, two arms, one for the Apple Watch, one for the phone. It's all floating in air and then a little place thing at the bottom for the AirPods Pro. I think uh, if, you know, no matter or another company come out with a nicer version of that, I'll probably um, jump on that. But if I'm going to upgrade, I want to kind of look a little more fancy and sci-fi anyway. <laughs> right. Now, speaking of MagSafe, I think you got a MagSafe wallet. And all I'll say is I ordered a MagSafe wallet maybe a month ago. And I'm checking my order right now on the Apple Store app. But it is not shipped yet. They weren't available in the store near me. And there was nowhere else I could get it. So anyway, it should be coming in the next week or two. The MagSafe wallet that will connect to the back of my phone. But you have one. What do you think about it? Well, I actually kind of was in your position. I was just fishing around the internet for one of these things. I saw on Apple, it was January shipping or whatever, and went on Best Buy and it just said, shipping um, dates will update once you place your order. So I said, you know what, whatever, I'm going to order it. So I ordered it on Best Buy maybe a week after it was announced because I didn't know if I wanted one yet. I, then I was like, wait, there's got to be knockoffs of these already. So I went on Amazon and found one of the first knockoffs and went ahead and ordered that too, assuming it would show up in a week. And turns out they both showed up a month later <laughs> in November on the same day. So I got the knockoff MagSafe wallet and the Apple wallet on the, at the same time, immediately chucked that knockoff to the side. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my experience with that. If you're going to get a knockoff, go ahead and understand that that's exactly what it is. This guy, I think, was about $22 and it's made of, you know, kind of that faux leather stuff. Yeah, the yeah. pictures all look like they're just on, on, on Amazon's website. They look like they're the Apple wallet with a, they Photoshopped off the Apple logo. And um, that's all the difference is. They use that smudge tool. Yeah, they smudged it. Uh, just put their thumb over it real quick. But it's not quite that. It's it's kind of ragged. You, you get it out and it's kind of this floppy material. It doesn't hold its shape. So you put cards in it and stuff and it feels like the cards are going to just slide right back out. The MagSafe portion of it is the same as Apple's. I don't think you can really trick that. Apple has a spec that accessory makers have to meet for the magnets to work. So that part's fine. It's just the wallet was atrocious. Apple's MagSafe wallet is amazing. And I'm I, I'm willing to say that it's probably the best wallet I've ever owned. And I'm this guy who's bought every wallet on the planet, just form factor <laughs> wise to try everything because I'm, I'm obsessed with minimalizing everything that I carry. For example, I've went from a bifold wallet to a front pocket wallet 
that's just basically the card holders and the ID holder right. to Nomad's battery wallet because I thought, you know what? I could charge my phone from a wallet. Why not? <laughs> that was fine. And then I went to back to just the little guy. Then I went and got one of those push a button and your cards all pop out in this nice organized mm-hmm. way. Beautiful mm-hmm. right. $80 pile of plastic. And yeah, gave up on that very quickly. And now here's this. This Apple wallet is it's it's everything I could have ever wanted. And it's as dumb as it sounds, it's because it only holds two cards. It forces me to carry my ID and the one debit or credit card that I'm gonna use, and that's it. Hmm. And this thing just slips into your jeans pocket. And I, I'm not one of these people who wears super tight jeans, but jeans are still jeans. <laughs> they're not really, you know, they're form fitting. So you're not going to want to stick this gigantic thing in your pocket. And as a wallet, I still carry it in my front pocket most of the time. Don't even really know it's there. Or I'll slap it on my phone. Nothing's going to make this thing fall off. I've shaken my phone. I mean, if you give it enough force, you could probably fling it across the room while it's attached to your phone. But it it is really hard to knock this thing off unless you physically push it against something like your back pocket or something. Yeah, I've, I've not come in, into any danger of like losing this thing. And it's really just been a nice experience overall. So it holds two or three cards? I think you can squeeze three in. I haven't even bothered. Two is like, I don't want to push this thing out because again this thing really does hold its shape very well i could try to see if three fits in but it it seems like two is the number i think apple might have said three but that might be pushing it very cool well mine says december 3rd through 11 which it's already december 3rd so (laughs) december 4th right now as people listen so hopefully it will come soon but yeah that's interesting to hear the experience and i've seen a lot of people be pretty positive about it andrew has a video and he loves the wallet as well so we'll put a link in show notes to andrew's video and uh, we'll talk about it more uh, once mine comes in because I'd love to give more thoughts on it. Have you had any shipping issues with your Apple products lately? Because I've had some interesting time with uh, all of my, like the last month of Apple stuff. Not really. This wallet has been the only thing that's taken longer than two weeks. You know, I ordered the leather case day one and that came quickly. My HomePod minis came quickly. My M1 13-inch MacBook Pro. Well, that one actually picked up in the store um, because that one was actually delayed. I did, my son doesn't listen to the show, but I ordered an Apple Watch SE for my oldest son. That came in like two days. And the MagSafe Duo Charger, I ordered December 1 and it's coming December 3. So not really. They've been actually really quick on that. But what issues have you had? Well, I ordered two HomePod minis the second they were available to order. And then about an hour later, I ordered a third HomePod mini just for my mom. And that one arrived on release day. So my mom got her HomePod mini immediately, but the two Hmm. HomePod minis that I ordered right away, something insane happened. I don't know what it was if the truck turned over twice on the way here. (laughs) Basically, the two HomePod minis shipped together from California, landed in Tennessee, got trapped in a town about an hour and a half away from my house, then said, your devices appear to be delayed. A couple days later, I'm sitting here thinking that they're just gone. I'll have to order new ones or something. They're going to cancel my order. A couple days later, they show up in California again, get shipped to Tennessee again, get stuck in the same town overnight for two days. And then my HomePod mini one shows up on Wednesday by itself on the porch. And then the order says complete on my, on the website. And I'm like, what is going on? And then three days later, the other one shows up and it's just the craziest thing I've ever seen as far as orders go, especially from Apple. Is it UPS or USPS? I think that one was actually FedEx the whole time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's where FedEx is usually on the ball. That's weird. 
Well, I don't know. With the holiday season now, I will say Amazon, we did all of our holiday shopping basically in one night. We did like a massive Amazon order. We kind of been planning it for a while and we were like, let's just order it all at once and see what happens. And man, Amazon, they gave me like, it'll be there in three or four days. And then like the next day, tons of boxes on my doorstep. So Amazon, I mean, if you're doing shopping and you don't want to go out to a store, Amazon seems to be pretty on the ball right now. We've actually gotten everything we ordered a minus one item that'll be coming like tomorrow. So yeah, they've been exceeding expectations. So anyway, kudos to Amazon. I don't know. Jeff Bezos may listen to this episode. You never know. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Remote HQ. Listen, during this whole time, when we've had a lot more working from home and collaborative software. There's been lots of tools you've probably used to work with people who are not with you physically. And I have to tell you, Remote HQ is one of the best tools for working with your teammates or other employees, and it makes it seem like you're right there in the same room together. Remote HQ allows you to see all your coworkers and hear them like a regular teleconference call, but the integrations it has with apps and things like Docs just make it a cohesive and incredible experience. And the technology is great. It is super smooth. Everything is in time. It doesn't lag even when you're sharing a screen. I love using Remote HQ. My favorite part of Remote HQ is it doesn't require an app to download. There's no software you need to download. Everything is right there in your browser. So you don't have to worry about compatibility or someone struggling to download software. You can just do everything right there in the web browser. And meeting rooms can be locked, can only be used by authenticated users, and you can make it super secure, more than just using a single password for a meeting. And you can turn any website instantly into a collaborative experience. So multiple people can click, scroll, and type away. This would be especially useful if you're web developers or you work on a creative team working on websites and other projects like that, the collaborative tools are incredible. You can also customize the workspace in Remote HQ. You can mix and match apps. You can simultaneously browse a different website or collaborate on a Google Doc. Or if you just want to focus on the faces during the meeting, you can do that as well. One of the really unique features also, they call it a searchable digital trail. So as you have meetings and you take notes, it actually records all that input like notes and things during the meeting. And you can search for those notes later on. So you can go back to those previous sessions and search for the notes you took. So you have to check out Remote HQ. Go to Remote HQ, the letters R-E-M-O-T-E-H-Q dot com slash partnerships slash Apple Insider for a free trial. Try it totally for free. And when you're ready to launch, use the promo code Apple Insider, all one word, and you can get three months for free. If you collaborate with any number of people online and in your work, try out Remote HQ at remotehq.com slash partnerships slash Apple Insider and use the promo code Apple Insider to get three months free when you sign up. Our thanks to Remote HQ for sponsoring this episode. What I will give some thoughts on is I've had my 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro for about two weeks now, and I've sold my i9 maxed out 16-inch MacBook Pro. It is gone. And what finally made me jump ship was I did a couple tests side-by-side, putting a 4K video through compressor on both machines simultaneously. I posted a photo, I think, on Twitter of the results. The M1 was slightly slower. Uh, the the video was like four or five minutes long, and the 16-inch i9, 32 gigs of RAM, AMD 5500 graphics card, like it was the maxed out 16-inch when I got it. It was like 30 seconds faster than the M1. But 
It sounded like it was taking off because of the fans and it got pretty hot. And I don't do that all the time. And I did some editing and final cut on the M1, never lagged, never slowed down, never had any issue with it. And the one huge feature, which you've probably heard a lot of other tech people saying this, but the battery life on the M1 MacBooks, and I have the MacBook Pro because supposedly gets a little better, because supposedly gets a little bit better battery life. It has been incredible. And like for that reason alone, my 16 inch, if I didn't just pull it off a charger, like if it was sitting in my bag overnight, or if I didn't use it for a day, I knew I was going to have to find a plug soon. With the M1, I've used it down to like 60%, put it in my bag, not use it till the next day, pull it out, and I can basically get a whole another half day of work done or more and never even think about the battery. And that'll be maybe using Chrome, maybe doing a little bit of Final Cut here and there, just never have to worry about it. And that experience just with the battery life and being super fast, you know, I'm not going to notice a 30 second difference unless I'm doing a side by side comparison with like the maxed out i9. And so I sold my 16 inch MacBook Pro, it is gone. I'm all in on the M1. And I will say someone was tweeting about this the other day, but if you have an older Intel Mac and you use that side by side with a new M1, it is like tortoise and hare and the tortoise does not win. I'll just spoiler alert because I have my 2015 iMac and it has an SSD, but man, compared to the M1, it is super slow. And so once Apple releases that next line of Apple Silicon based Macs, I'm assuming an iMac and I'll actually just touch on it right here. Ming-Chi Kuo had some rumors that mini LED MacBook Pros might be coming in 2021. Obviously, Apple's going to release more Apple Silicon Macs in 2021. They said the entire transition will take place over two years, and we've already been kind of six to nine months into it. So I'm assuming we will see not only an iMac in 2021 based on Apple Silicon, but maybe that redesigned 14-inch MacBook Pro like Ming-Chi Kuo is implying. And I'd be all about that iMac because the M1 is just awesome. And again, you won't see that battery life obviously on a desktop, so that won't matter as much, but the speed, just waking from sleep, the Touch ID, just opening system preferences and instantaneous, it's just an awesome experience. So I cannot recommend highly enough the M1 Max. I have had a couple people ask me like, hey, should I get this refurbished MacBook Air? I'm looking for a new laptop. I say, no, do not get a refurbished MacBook Air. You know, if, if you're can get the education discount because you're in school or if you have a student, a MacBook Air, even that base level, M1, the brand new one, you can get it for $899 with the education discount. It is just an incredible machine, and it would be loads faster than any Intel MacBook Air you could get. And you can hear everybody praising all these M1s, Joanna Stern, Neil Patel, everybody. The only knock is that FaceTime camera, which is unfortunate, but in my use case, that's not a huge deal. But anyway, M1 MacBook Pro, two thumbs up. I love using it. It almost has, Wes, because I know you're like an iPad first user. It almost has that feeling of using your an iPad as your main computing device because that battery life is just so good. You're not worried about plugging it in halfway through the day. And just the speed of everything is just awesome. Yeah, I mean, the battery life is definitely the big uh, game changer here, especially for Mac users. I, I remember using my 16-inch MacBook Pro or 15-inch MacBook Pro. We're talking about 2015 here. And that thing dying very quickly. We're talking about three, four hours of 
you know, constant use editing photos or something and your battery's exhausted. It's over doubling or sometimes tripling. That is just insane to me. And I mean, that's coming from someone who uses an iPad. I I don't tell my boss, but sometimes I don't want to sit at my desk. So I will uh, put the news on in the living room and work for my iPad on my couch. And the iPad pro uh, 12.9 inch battery you know, working screen on editing photos, publishing articles, the stuff I do normally, that thing chugs through an eight hour workday like no other. Like I get to the end of the day and sure I'm at about maybe 10, maybe 5% battery, but it holds up. And that's still in that 12.9 inch iPad form factor, no fans and all of that. So I wonder um, what we're going to see in this next iPad lineup. Apple's obviously learned something or done something different with their battery stuff, or obviously these machines just have more space for more battery. So they have more life because of the size, but I expect some of this battery life beneficial, uh, beneficial stuff will roll down to the iPads as well very soon. And mini LED, that's an iPad thing coming too. Ming Chi Kuo has mentioned it before. That's right. I think that combined with some battery life improvements is going to be a huge step up for the next generation of iPad. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about cameras, man. It has been a while since you've been on the show, but you have your iPhone 12 Pro Max now in hand. You're showing off the low light photos that you're taking and the photos of your cat where you can see every hair. But before you jump into your experience with it, MKBHD, you know, he does this every year. He does the blind smartphone camera test. And he basically goes on Twitter, he posts two photos, one from uh, two, you know, one from one phone camera, one from another one, and anonymous as far as you don't know what phones they are, and he just says vote, you know, A or B, C or D. And he basically puts all those anonymous submissions, people choosing their favorite photo from those two, puts them in a bracket, and then basically tells people what they voted for as the best photos from a phone camera that year. Now... This whole process is super interesting, first of all. Like, this is a genius idea. MKBHD, you know, he kills it. But every year, the iPhone and the Pixel, they, do, they don't win. Like, they, I don't think I remember the last time an iPhone or Pixel ever won this blind smartphone camera test that MKBHD does. And typically, the iPhone, and a lot of times the Pixel will be knocked out in like the first or second round of this bracket. And I'll put a link to MKBHD's video in show notes and also put the picture of the bracket, everything except the main winner. So you can kind of see the iPhone 12 Pro Max is on this. And according to his blind test, the iPhone 12 Pro Max loses to the OnePlus 8T phone. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this blind test. You know, I, I vote for them when I see MKBHD tweet on it. I'll say, you know, which is my favorite. And I almost kind of know which photos probably are coming from the iPhone. Like they're probably a little more saturated. You know, you could just tell a lot of these other cameras where, I don't know, people are looking for like the good photography side of the camera. Like they don't want extra saturation. They want a neutral photo that they can edit later. You know, some of these other phones give those kinds of photos just straight out of the camera. Uh, so I can kind of tell what it is and you see people voting for the other ones because they're, you know, just voting on like, what's the best raw photo almost, I think what people do. So these brackets and, and MKBHD's test, it doesn't make me feel bad about the iPhone camera because it takes incredible photos. And a lot of times these photos that he's using are not low light photos. They're not like difficult photos for the phone to capture. They're typically like pretty bright, well-lit photos. Some of them are inside. Uh, but you know, they're not like hard quote unquote photos for a phone camera to do. And typically the winner is a phone I've never heard of. Like it's a, it's a mate something or a Zen phone is in the final bracket on his deal now. 
But it is always interesting to see what people vote for, though, and and how it plays out. But how do you feel about these tests that you know MKBHD does and others? They're they're terrible because he doesn't include the Nintendo DSi camera on there from you know 2009. <laughs> sure, but sure. This it's a really interesting camera test. I. I mean, obviously, and he, even he says it like it's not scientific in any way. If anything, it's a psychological test. It just right. it proves what people care about, and especially in this Instagram era of photography, uh, pe- like you said, people aren't looking for the quality of the photo; they're looking for what gets the most likes. And right. people uh, and our you know dumb little brains, we, you know, it's it's pretty easy to figure out what we like. We like color saturation we like brightness like we like really brightly lit well lit uh photos framing isn't really a question unless it's like just totally ruins the picture but yeah the the example photos he gave um you know you put 15 of them side by side and it 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 turns into nothing it's just a a pile of color and mesh it it doesn't matter anymore and at that point are you even asking you know which photo is better it's a tinder swipe test of photography (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Your your brain's going to judge it in half a second. Okay, I like this one better. Mostly, probably because of color. But because yeah, uh, again, our our brains are pretty simple when it comes to this stuff. But I I, I don't hate it. I mean, I, I like that he does it every year. Uh, the the choices of phones are always interesting. And yeah, the the quote unquote best mobile phone photography things get knocked out in the first round every time. Just because yeah, most of the time, especially for iPhone, the photos they're taking are usually pretty neutral. I would recommend for most people, especially iPhone users, if you're taking a photo of anything, if you got the second, go hit that auto um, correction button in the editor and photos. You know, 90% of the time, you'll you'll probably get a photo out of it that you're just like, wow, this really pops. But that's because guess what? It's raising the brightness, raising the saturation <laughs> right, and, and uh, changing that contrast a little bit and making your dumb little human brain just love it a little bit more. But um, you're really getting down on that lizard brain, to, you know, <laughs> humans have, but <laughs> just say, hey, 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 you know, I mean, I get we're, it. We're, yeah. we're just a bunch of robots here. All right. We're programmed to like what we like and we like colors and, and lights. Yeah. Listen, any graphic designer knows exactly what you mean, because they will submit either a color branding or some graphic and you know the client's basically going to ask you to like make it pop which in their mind means like increase the saturation and brightness like that's all it means yeah yeah you go you go to uh to be a professional artist in college for six years to learn how to raise the saturation slider in photoshop <laughs> no, no offense to the to the artists out there but um no they they know what they're doing it's just they <laughs> it's the client asks for crazy stuff and then you're kind of stuck doing whatever they want but anyway yes go on i, I wanted to ask you um so that's the psychological side of photography what do you think about these other companies like dxo mark uh, who claim anyway to do these super scientific testing to give it like a roundabout score of like which is the best phone or which is the best camera out there i mean bottom line is i don't care i mean they (laughs) i mean that that sounds cavalier but like so right now i'll I'll put links in show notes to this too but like dxo mark yeah they rate every camera right now they gave the pixel 5 a 120 I don't know out of what. I don't know <laughs> in relation to what. It's not even out of a hundred. Yeah, there's there's no top score because uh, I remember back in the day. Uh, I mean, we're talking five six years ago when phones were scoring ninety eights, and everyone's like, "Ooh, look, it's almost perfect." It's like, and then like the Samsung comes out and it's a hundred and one. Everyone's like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> what, what's what's happening here?" <laughs> right. So you know, he, they gave the Pixel five a one twenty, and they gave the iPhone twelve Pro Max a one thirty. Cool. I guess it means it's it's better. But for me, that like that's why 
I look for Austin Mann, the photographer. I want to know what he thinks about the phone. Yeah. And what pictures can he take? He's going to take it to crazy locales. He's going to do low light. He's going to do portraits. Like, that's what I care about. Like, I want to see what it can do. And like seeing you post photos inside of your cat, you know, low light, you know, I want to see, can it do that? Because so 99.9% of the time, like people are not taking side-by-side photos with an iPhone 12 Pro Max, a Pixel 5 and a Huawei Mate, whatever. Like it just doesn't happen. So while it's interesting, like I'm glad people do these kinds of tests, I just want to know anecdotally, is this going to take really good photos? How close is it is to a DSLR style thing? How good is the portrait mode if I'm going to try and use that? How good is it in low light? Just general questions. So the number, yeah, whatever. But I, I want to find the photographer. I want to see real world tests. That's really what I'm after. I like the number just as a something to grab hold of and just something to point to. But yeah, at the end of the day, especially coming from these companies who are also consultants who, you know, say, Hey, give me, give me a bunch of money and uh, we'll show you how to get this test even better. And, um, most Android manufacturers pay DXO mark to score better on their tests, uh, hint, hint. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's just about your day-to-day use of your phone and what photos you're actually going to get out of it. Because I've had some time to think about this and listen to other people talk about it. And uh, you'll, you'll, if you listen to a lot of Apple podcasts, you'll probably hear me repeat some opinions from other people because I agree with them. But at the end of the day, it really is the use case. Like I I heard a, a few anecdotes that align with what I've done with my camera of the shutter speed, mm. for instance, like I have the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And at first reviewers were having trouble trying to distinguish the difference between the Pro Max and the regular Pro and, you know, why even bother getting the Pro Max. But it's definitely come to my attention and testing on cats and kids. And no, I can't post the picture of my nieces and nephews on Twitter. I'm, I'm not crazy, but <laughs> trying to take pictures of toddlers running around the yard, it's an impossible task, even in broad daylight. And <laughs> something about this camera jumps out at me that wasn't there in the iPhone 11 Pro. And it's the swiftness of autofocus and shutter speed all at once. I mean, I am freezing these kids in midair, mid jump, running around screaming, and it's just focusing on their face and their eyes instantly. No, no tap to focus, nothing like that. And I just was not seeing that on previous generations of iPhone. Usually a blurry kid in a live photo that I might be able to like move the frame on the live photo to find the perfect shot. But this thing's just doing it every time. You know, other people have mentioned now night mode where you need a three second exposure on the iPhone 11 or the iPhone 12 Pro. You need a two second or one second exposure on the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And then once you start getting into those three second exposures on the 12 Pro Max, getting into crazy territory photos as far as like just contrast and exposure and near dark scenes. Yeah. And it's seeing the pictures that you're posting and seeing people do those night mode comparisons with like the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max. Like it's definitely clear in low light that Pro Max has a significant advantage. This episode is sponsored by Amazon Alexa. Now, I don't know if you knew, but we have a whole show on Apple Insider just about smart home devices. I love doing all the different smart home things like light switches and bulbs, and it's super easy to control all those smart devices with an Alexa. Yes, I have an Alexa. My kids love it. I love to use it. And we actually have an incredible deal right now. And you can save $10 when you buy a two-pack of Singled color-changing smart bulbs. Now, not only is smart lighting fun if you're just turning lights on and off, but if you have some colored bulbs, I highly recommend getting them, especially now during the holiday season. You can really use them to great effect both around your house and your decor. And the Singled color-changing smart bulbs are great and they work great with Alexa. 
Even if you're just starting out with smart home devices, the Singlet bulb and an Alexa works great together and it's easy to set up. And if you have kids that like to try different things in their room, maybe you have a couple lamps, the Singlet smart bulbs allow you to set every possible mood. Over 16 million light colors to choose from. It's instant decor at the touch of a button or with the sound of your voice. We've put some colored bulbs around our fireplace with some of that fake snow and all that kind of stuff. And it's great. You can do one red and one green, you know, blue to kind of have that wintry feeling. I love using the smart bulbs for all that kind of decor and setting the mood stuff. You can also set lighting routines to gently wake you up in the morning or to help you wind down at night or just completely turn off at a certain time. Again, if you're laying in bed, it's super easy just to turn off the lights using your voice and an Amazon Alexa in your room. So right now you can get $10 off a two pack of Singled smart color changing light bulbs only at amazon.com slash Apple Insider. That's right amazon.com slash Apple Insider. You've probably heard of them. This offer is available for a limited time. So now's the time to get your home set up with smart lighting, change the decor around your house and get $10 off a single LED bulb two pack at amazon.com slash Apple Insider. That's amazon.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to single LED and Amazon for sponsoring this episode. Now, you've also been playing around with Pro Raw because uh, you're running some of the betas. So tell me, what, what has that experience been like? Do you see usefulness, use cases with that Pro Raw stuff? Well, funny enough, these last few reviews I've been doing, I've been using the iPhone camera exclusively for all the photos. So if you go look at the OGIO backpack review and the uh, Keychron uh, K1 review, which should go up this weekend uh, as you're listening, the last three or four reviews I've done, all iPhone photos captured in Pro Raw, and they turn out great. Like it, it, It's hard to explain because if you let the iPhone just do the work, half the time you'll probably get a better photo <laughs> than what you're going to capture in Pro Raw just because there's those billions of operations right happening and it's just making all the decisions for you. Right. What Pro Raw is getting you is that full access to every bit of data the iPhone was able to capture in that second. And unless you have the software to really take advantage of that, you're not going to get too far, especially compared to what the iPhone's already processing in that JPEG. So I've noticed that I can ca sometimes capture really great images, low noise, high detail in this file, but I can only edit it in the iPhone photos app right now because mm. no other photos apps can take advantage of pro raw until it's officially released so stuff like affinity uh can see that there's a dng file embedded in that pro raw and it'll pull that out and um you'll instantly see already like what apple's doing even to the pro raw formatting because that raw photo that you get and see in the photos app is still altered from the original and uh when affinity pulls out that dng file it is what you'd expect from like a full size DNG raw file, which is basically bright whites, low color, and you need to go in there and tune the heck out of it to get the photo you want, which is fine. I mean, um, if, if you ever tooled around with these, it's not that hard to uh, pull out what you need, but instead of doing all that, you might as well just get that JPEG that the iPhone's going to take most of the time. Now you have a video on your Twitter with the first snow. Was that with the Pro Max? Yeah, um, that was uh, pitch blackout, dark night. Um, I think my back porch light was even off. Yeah, that was with the Pro Max pointed up at the sky and some trees. That's that's pretty impressive just because, you know, these snowflakes are these tiny little white specks and you can see them clearly. And like, it's clearly night. You can see the tree. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty hot. And that's with Twitter uh, compression too. I don't know if, how, if anyone's really mentioned this, but you know that in the 
previous iPhones, I think the 11s were the ones that introduced this. They could, if you had your phone set to 4K 30 frames, it would still record in 60 frames, but every other frame, it would change the exposure of that frame and then remix it in live to get a higher dynamic range as you filmed. Right. Yes. Did you, were you aware of that? Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so the pro max and I think the pro and maybe the entire 12 line, I haven't, I don't, I can't test it, but um, I know for sure the 12 pro max, there's a setting now that lets you turn that on for even 60 frames per second. And I don't know exactly what it's doing. I don't think it's filming at like 120 and alternating the frames, but it's doing some crazy trick where even if you're filming in 60 frames, it's able to pull out that extra data and get you a higher uh, dynamic range, which I, I have it locked into 4K60 as my default camera setting and have that turned on. So it's it's definitely interesting to see how it pulls all that out. Yeah. And just in general, it's incredible what these cameras are doing. So. I will put several of Wes's tweets in the show notes, and you can see pictures of that uh, his cat and also that snowfall, which is I think it's that's really impressive. And also those lizards, are those are your lizards. Um, that is my brother-in-law's uh, lizards. I managed to uh, okay. yeah tease those out of the little their little home that they hide in. Um, I did want to mention too video. I haven't had a lot of time to play with video just because I'm more apt to take photos and video most of the time. It's pretty stunning. Again, the tracking. Uh, for uh, autofocus is insane. I did a little video of my cat and Twitter destroyed this one. So I wouldn't even bother finding it, but she's on the ground. She jumps up to the couch. She's on the ground and she just, uh, she's doing this little playful thing, but the tracking on the phone, it's like, it wasn't even needing to find her to focus. It was just basically following her with the focus as the video was filming without any need to touch control or do anything crazy like that. Almost like you were filming with filmic pro and had manual control over the where the camera was focusing at every instance. It was it was pretty wild to see just how quickly it was able to uh, shift through that. And one one more thing on just the camera, the video. I have the crazy hue lights everywhere, and um, my nieces, uh, my niece was staying over with a friend, and they were doing their silly TikTok dances with the hue lights shifting on the TV and all that nonsense. And it was a dark room, and I was able to film them doing this. In the Dolby Vision HDR, it looked like something out of like a movie and it, it's silly and it's just a silly time, but like being able to pull that out of just a casual interaction like that with your camera, it's unprecedented. Like we, we would never have been able to get like that good of footage from a, a video camera, even in the iPhone 11. So it's, it's just kind of wild seeing so early on the, uh, what this phone is capable of. Apple can continue to improve on this in software updates. So it's only going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one big piece of news that came out this past week, not a ton to talk about, but it was rumored that Salesforce, the huge, you know, corporate commercial, the software, cloud service, all that was going to buy Slack. And it came out that it did. I think the most interesting thing is that it had bought Slack for $27.7 billion. And, you know, if you've ever followed uh, previous acquisitions, I think Facebook bought Instagram for like a billion, maybe like 1 billion, or maybe it was even less. It was in that range. I always jump to the Apple Beats acquisition because it is still to date the biggest single purchase Apple's ever made, and it was only $3 billion. <laughs> right. And it, I was right. Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. So the fact that Slack, a basically single purpose, I mean, I know there's a lot of plugins and extensions, but you know, a work collaborative chat app, which it was not the only one of its time, uh, was purchased by Salesforce for $27 billion. And, you know, I don't know your thoughts on it, but 
I've have some experience with Salesforce products in the past and like it is super corporate. I mean, this is for like the big businesses. It's customer management, it's marketing, it's all that kind of stuff in one big app. You know, I don't know if it's going to I don't think it's going to ruin Slack, but I don't see them greatly improving Slack. You know, one of the things that Slack gets knocked for is like the Mac app, which is not a native app. It's running the um, Electron type stuff and it's kind of weird. And, uh, you know, but Slack works. You know, we use it at Apple Insider. I use it for in several other channels. It's a great product. I just hope Salesforce doesn't like mess it up or do anything like add stories or something to Slack. Hopefully not. But it's super interesting. Salesforce bought it for $27 billion. Yeah, I, I watch CNBC every day to because that's one of the channels where um, Apple comes up a lot. So that's just usually on in the background somewhere. And Salesforce has an awful commercial on that channel. Just go watch it. it <laughs> you'll understand everything you need to know about this company from that commercial. But yeah, Slack is an interesting buy because again, this is just, uh, we've discussed it on this podcast before. It's a feature, not a, not a service really. It's just a chat application. There's a lot going on in it, but nothing that hasn't been replicated, if not better in some places. I mean, I think a Microsoft, uh, exec or somebody was just kind of laughing about it on, on, on an interview, just, you know, they're killing it right now. Like Microsoft teams has a lot of good stuff going on with it. And I, I wouldn't say it's the better application. I prefer Slack, but yeah, yeah teams definitely has some really good features and built-in services Yeah, on the other side. Slack's definitely feels a little bit better built, if not a little bit more corporate. It feels because, uh, Microsoft teams definitely comes off a little bit more like, uh, discord like experience or trying to have a little bit of fun with it like it's the google chat app of business <laughs> yeah yeah and i've used microsoft teams I, I don't prefer it i mean they're they're doing an okay job i will say andrew wilkinson he is the co-founder of tiny which is a like investment company basically he owns metalab which makes things like the project management software flow anyway andrew wilkinson actually worked with slack founder Stuart Butterfield and talked about how in 2013, uh, like Stuart had failed his first like gaming startup and he talks all about that. And Andrew Wilkinson basically chose not to invest in Slack and just take their money to give them like an initial app and website. And it's just an interesting story that, you know, obviously in hindsight, definitely should have invested clearly <laughs> because of the value it now has, but just a story from like an investing standpoint and something that was not an original idea. You know, when Slack launched, there were other things like hip chat and other ways that you could just chat with coworkers and in businesses. But it is an interesting story about, you know, him as an investor working with Slack initially. So I'll put a link in show notes to that uh, tweet thread that Andrew Wilkinson had. So I'll put links in show notes to those uh, tweet threads. Well, you've done some uh, funny things with the HomePod mini. Can you use it with a battery pack? Because it's just basically a USB-C cable coming out of the HomePod mini. And so you had this hilarious picture. Again, I'll put the, the link in show notes, but put a couple HomePod minis to like a battery pack. How did that work? So this battery pack is like the king of battery packs. It's total possible output is 210 watts. You don't have to buy this thing to do this. I was just playing around. But if you can output at least 20 watts from a port, the HomePod mini will run. So if you can get pretty much most uh, modern battery packs, some of them are 18 watts to so watch out. So make sure you're at least outputting 20 watts. And if you can get two ports on a battery pack to output 20 watts, you can basically create a portable stereo HomePod mini system that you can carry around. As long as you have a Wi-Fi signal connected 
connecting the home pods to a network, you're good. I was able to experiment with this a little bit. I uh, was at my sister's house for a little dinner thing uh, we were doing with the kids and ended up using one home pod mini inside, one outside. Changing networks is actually interesting now because used to, you'd have to just reset the home pod, home pod from scratch and reprogram it with a new network from a phone or something. But now you can actually go into the home app if uh, you didn't know, and it'll say switch to no network and it'll list the name of the network that it thinks it needs to connect to uh, that the iPhone's connected to. And it's a pretty cool, seamless process. It's hidden a little bit in those HomePod settings inside the home app, but it works out pretty well. That's pretty nice because yeah, trying to use a HomePod not on your home Wi-Fi network was previously a pain in the neck. Like it was not, not easy to do. So yeah, nice to hear that that process is a little easier at least. You're combining two baseball sized speakers to whatever battery pack. And that's your, basically your portable stereo. And I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, I guess it might be neat to do, um, in certain situations, maybe if you're cooking out outside and you don't, you know, you don't have a permanent speaker installation outside, which I, I don't, you know, it, it definitely has its uses. It's just, very specifically strange. I've, I've thought about maybe like in the future, if I had an, a HomePod mini, like maybe um, connected somewhere uh, like in my living room, I maybe have that uh, continuously connected to a battery pack and then have that battery pack connected to a wall yeah. outlet and then just unplug the battery pack and pick it up and go if I wanted it to, you know, that, that might be a use case, but this is again, very slim use case. So yeah. just interesting that it's possible. Yeah. It's super interesting. So I'll put a link uh, to that picture of course in show notes. It's hilarious. This episode is brought to you by express VPN. Earlier this year, more than 100 Twitter users got their accounts hacked into passwords email address, phone numbers, and more, all taken from high-profile people like Joe Biden, Elon Musk, even Kanye West. We actually covered it here on the Apple Insider Podcast. But these kinds of attacks are getting more frequent and more severe. And it's not just Twitter. Facebook, eBay, Uber, Adobe all have leaked data such as passwords and credit card info and driver's licenses belonging to billions of users. If someone can hack Joe Biden, just imagine how easy it would be for them to hack you. That's why I use ExpressVPN to safeguard my personal data online. According to recent reports, hackers can make up to $1,000 from selling someone's personal information on the dark web. But ExpressVPN is an app that funnels your data through a secure, encrypted tunnel so that no matter what device you use, you can have peace of mind every time you use the internet. The app connects with just one click. It's lightning fast. You could stream video. HD video is not a problem. And it works on up to five devices simultaneously so you and your whole family can stay protected. I use the ExpressVPN app on my iPhone, iPad, my Mac. It's even available on smart TVs if you want to try that. You can also get it on wireless routers to protect all the internet traffic coming in and out of your home. It's super flexible, super easy to use. So protect yourself with ExpressVPN, the VPN rated number one by CNET, Wired, and many others. And if you visit expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider right now, you can arm yourself with an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. Visit expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Uh, real quick, just want to touch on Apple did this thing about like naming the app of the year, most downloaded apps, things like that. Obviously, Zoom took kind of like the most downloaded one, which 
calling it the like number one app of the year, like it's not a great app on iPad. Like, let's just be real, you know, but because of the whole pandemic and COVID-19, obviously most downloaded, but a couple interesting ones, you know, Disney plus, obviously TikTok, of course, but uh, among us was the number one free game. And I'll be honest. I was like, you know, when something's really big in culture, I kind of like avoid it for a while. Cause I f- don't want to jump on the bandwagon, but I finally downloaded among us and played it like with my family and kids actually kind of fun. Like I'll give among us uh, a pass on that. Like, well, it was pretty fun. It's a free game. You can play with a bunch of people. They don't have to be local. You can do it online. Like, pretty cool. Do you play Among Us? No, but I can appreciate how clever it is. It reminds me a lot of those, even even the stylings, it reminds me of the Flash games of yesteryear. Uh, you, you used to get online and play these poorly designed, poorly drawn games, and uh, the mechanics were so simple and so fun that you just play them for hours, and the design of this game's like, um, like I love it. Like, it's just, it's it's cutesy. It's obvious why this game took off. Fooled around with it a little bit. I just haven't played much of it, but I can understand why it, it won, or why it's... Uh, been such a popular game. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I wanted to round out the show with some gift idea lightning round. We're in December. The holidays are here. So if you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, wanted to throw out some ideas for those who, you know, if you just want to get some Apple products, buy some Apple stuff for your friends or like accessories that kind of surround it. And a couple picks for me, obviously the number one probably Apple product that it would be a great gift idea is the HomePod mini. If they don't have a smart speaker already, the HomePod mini is just awesome because it is not only a HomeKit base, you know, if you want to get into some of the smart device stuff, but for $99, it's a great sounding speaker. You can do the AirPlay. You might have trouble finding it, you know, as far as like shipping times and stuff. You might need to see if you can pick it up at an Apple store locally to make sure you get it. But HomePod mini is a great choice. And as far as other Apple products, you know, Apple Watch SE, actually getting it for one of my kids, but the the SE is a great model watch, brand new. You can do that family setup, which I'll be doing once he opens it. And I'll let everyone know how that experience is doing the family setup with Apple Watch SE. Uh, But that might be a good option. Also, if you have, you know, an older relative or, you know, your parents and they don't have an Apple Watch, as far as the health features and fall detection, Apple Watch might be a great gift idea. But aside from Apple products themselves, I just wanted to mention a couple things that used or gotten recently that I really like. If you want some HomeKit, Apple HomeKit related products and a gift guide for that, on the HomeKit Insider episode that's coming out Monday, we actually do a huge rundown of our favorite HomeKit products. So if you're looking for smart home devices and HomeKit stuff, listen to HomeKit Insider on Monday. We have a bunch of gift ideas there and links for all that in the show notes. But as far as stuff that I've gotten recently, because no iPhone 12 or MagSafe charger or MagSafe Duo charger comes with an actual charging brick, you're going to have to buy one. And you can go with Apple's like 20 watt USB thing, but that's not cheap either. I'm going to recommend Anchor, which actually has a, a GAN charger. It's basically the size of the 5 watt iPhone charger, very small and compact, but you get 20 watts out of it. It's got the power delivery 3.0 USB-C on it. It's a great little charger. You can get it on Amazon right now for 17 bucks. So it's a great option. And so I'll put a link in show notes to that one. Uh, But uh, did you have a charger or battery recommendation too you were looking at? For a few more bucks, Anchor again. I got a couple of these for my HomePod minis because the Apple 20 watt chargers are gigantic one of my HomePod minis I wanted to put on my dresser and the dresser now has to sit three feet away from the wall in order to fit the cable behind it. Basically just, it sticks so far out from the wall, but anchor makes this flat GAN charger. That's 
sits almost flush with the wall and the adapter comes out of the bottom. Perfect for your home pods. I think it includes the spec that you need for full MagSafe, but don't quote me on that, but it's a 30 watt charger. So it should 22 bucks. I think we'll include that in the show notes too, but that's, that's perfect. And another thing I was looking at for my niece and nephew, uh, 11, 12 years old, they don't have all this fancy stuff. So this isn't for the people who have MagSafe or a HomePod they're trying to power, but this is perfect for someone with an iPhone who's trying to be portable. I reviewed the um, InfiniCore Port- Pandora Portable Power Adapter, the P3. They love alliteration, I guess, but <laughs> this thing is uh, perfect for kids that age. has a wireless uh, charger on top, but also has three ports for plugging things into. 8,000 milliamp hours, plugs right into the wall, uh, or takes it on the go. It, it's it's the perfect like combination thing, and it's only 50 bucks if you want a simple stock, stocking stuffer for uh, a kid that age or something. Yeah. One more charger. I'm going to put that Nomad Base Station Pro that I think you use and some other people at Apple Insider use. And so if you're looking at that, it's a back ordered. They're saying if you order now, it'll ship December 17th, but it's a pretty popular wireless charger. And I'll put a link in show notes to that so you can check it out. Also, a couple random things here. I'm big on bags, like backpacks and stuff and messenger bags too. And, you know, everyone talks about the Peak Design backpacks, which are great. And I actually have one. It's great, especially if you're a photographer. But I want to plug a different kind of bag. They are not sponsoring the show, but it's just a bag that I searched far and wide for and really like. It's from eBags, just the letter eBags.com. And they have a Pro Slim laptop backpack. And it's actually on sale right now. It's usually like $140. You can get it for $84 right from their website. And I love this backpack because it's really made for like the tech stuff. Lots of zippered pouches and pockets where you can put cables and dongles and little hubs and stuff. And they also have a pocket just for a tablet that's a standalone padded pocket and a secondary area where you could fit up to like a 16-inch MacBook Pro. That's what I had put my MacBook Pro in. And lots of other pockets. And it's got all the cool like carry-on loop thing if you're traveling and you could put it on your carry-on. So this is from eBags. Peak design is great, a little expensive. And if you're not a photographer, it might not be best for you. But this eBags Pro Slim laptop is not super cool looking. Uh, but it's nice and it's super functional and I really like functional stuff. And so I'll put a link in show notes to that eBag slim laptop backpack. And I also wanted to throw in one more thing. You know, if you have kids or if you just have a lot of devices that you're charging, maybe multiple iPads, if you've got family stuff, I've kind of been looking far and wide for charging hubs, like dock type things where you can charge multiple devices and keep it organized. And so I found this thing on Amazon. It's a bamboo charging station. It's got like multiple slots for devices. It actually has a little attachment even for like an Apple Watch and AirPods. And so I'll put a link in show notes to this. It's 26 bucks. It comes with a little like six inch cables. It comes with lightning, micro USB and USB-C cables, which is really useful. So it's only 26 bucks. Uh, It's a cool bamboo charging station. I actually got this for my kids' devices. Again, AirPods section. It's got a little Apple Watch attachment. It does not come, though, with a charging hub. So if you already have a charging hub, you can use that. But if you don't, you will need to get one. And, you know, these vary in prices, but I'm going to recommend one. I kind of got the most ports possible just so I can kind of future-proof if I have any future devices. But I got another Anchor. This is a 60-watt 10-port USB wall charger. It's a brick, basically. It's got 10 USB ports. They're all USB-A, but if you get that bamboo charging station, 
they come with USB-A to USB-C cables. And so if you're really just interested in charging and you don't care about fast charging, like you're just trying to get a bunch of devices charged overnight, you can get this Anchor 60-watt 10-port wall charger, put it in this bamboo charging thing, and you have a nice organized charging station for many devices, and especially if you have kids with devices or you just have multiple ones you want to charge in a nice dock type thing. I would encourage you to get that. Uh, I'll put the links in show notes to that. And if you don't want to get stuff separately, like you don't want to buy the Anchor and the Bamboo Charger, you just want an all-in-one solution, I'll put a link. This is another one I'd gotten in the past. It's the Hercules Tough, T-U-F-F, charging station. It's got six USB ports. It has its power all built in, so you don't have to buy a secondary power thing. And it comes with those little six-inch cables as well, Lightning, Micro-USB, and USB-C. And so that's another cool option. That's only 40 bucks all-in-one deal. You can slot your devices in. It comes with little like separators. It fits an iPad even with a case. So just as you're getting multiple devices probably this holiday season, look at some of these charging stations that might be useful for you. And so those are some of my favorite gifts to recommend. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Again, don't forget to check out last week's episode, the interview with Canis from Wooji Juice, developer of Fairlight for iPad. And if you haven't yet, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. You can get us there. You can also tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. And don't forget to follow us, tweet at us if you have questions, recommendations, thoughts on the show. We'd love to hear you there. You can also email me. That's in the show notes as well. Thanks for tuning in and we will catch you next week.